Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Twitter is testing downvotes. Tumblr gets into the subscription game. Google unveils a unified backup service for Android. Is HBO Max leading the pack of followers in the Musical Chairs Streaming Wars contest? The FTC is getting serious about right to repair. And let me introduce you to the Airbnb for backyard swimming pools. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. If you were in the Twitter space last night, you heard this get brought up at the end of the space. Twitter is testing a way to downvote replies on iOS to understand the types of replies users find relevant to a conversation. Downvotes won't be public, so maybe this won't be useful for trolls, one would hope, quoting 9to5Mac. Twitter confirmed this new test in a tweet posted to the Twitter support account. The company says that some users on iOS will see new upvote and downvote options on tweets. Downvotes will not be shown publicly, while upvotes will be shown as likes, the company says, implying that the feature is only intended for internal metrics. According to Twitter, the goal of this new test is to, quote, understand the types of replies you find relevant in a conversation. The prompt that appears to users in the Twitter for iOS app reads as follows, quote, Dislikes aren't public or visible to the author, while likes are. They both help us understand what people think is valuable to the conversation, end quote. Twitter is testing multiple different designs for this new feature, including upvote and downvote buttons, likes and dislikes, and pairing the classic heart with a downvote, as seen in the image above. Again, the important thing to remember here is that this is a test and none of the information is publicly shown. The ultimate scope of this test remains to be seen, and it's unclear whether Twitter will expand these features beyond the current small subset of users, end quote. Since there was a time when we talked about them endlessly, it's probably worth noting that Clubhouse is no longer invite-only and has exited beta and says that the 10 million people currently sitting on its waitlist will be added to the app over time. So, everyone into the Clubhouse pool at long last, quoting The Verge. Essentially, millions of users won't be added today, but seemingly if you attempt to sign up anew, you'll be able to do so. Along with the news, Clubhouse showed off a new logo as well as a new app icon, Justin Meezy Williams, rapper 21 Savage's manager. This change comes only a week after Clubhouse launched its DM product, Backchannel, which the team now says saw 10 million messages sent within the first day of launch and more than 90 million over the first week, end quote. Although, as a sort of shot chaser thing, I do also have these stats from a recent Casey Newton tweet, quote, new Clubhouse stats from Sensor Tower, 7.7 million installs in June, 5.85 million of those were in India where it was brand new. That leaves around 1.8 million downloads for the rest of the world. It previously did 2.7 million downloads in the U.S. in March alone. Retention still clearly is its biggest problem, end quote. Ah, yes, Clubhouse, the social network people can't stop talking about, even when they're talking about how it might be failing. Well, at the very least, now everyone can see what all the fuss has been about and make a call for themselves. I'm going to stick this here because it feels like a theme, these first three segments. Tumblr has started testing what it is calling Post Plus, which allows users to charge their followers a monthly fee in exchange for access to exclusive content, with Tumblr taking a 5% cut. Quoting the Wall Street Journal, 
Tumblr hopes the feature will attract younger users, those from so-called Gen Z, and help keep them on a platform that rose to prominence among teenagers and college students in the early 2010s as a place to share memes, photos, and creative writing. More than 48% of its users already fall within the Gen Z demographic, which encompasses people born in the mid to late 1990s through to the early 2010s, Tumblr said, though it declined to disclose how many people use the platform daily. Unlike previous internet generations, people from this younger age group value and may even expect to be paid to post, said Lance Willett, Tumblr's chief product and technology officer, end quote. As I said again on the Twitter space last night, I feel like this is 100% the perfect fit for Tumblr. It just maybe came, I don't know, a decade too late for Tumblr. Is it just me, or is the move to the creator economy resurrecting the ideas of a whole bunch of different things that somehow couldn't make a go of it when the only business model for social was ad-supported? Google is rolling out Backup by Google One, a unified Android cloud backup that syncs app data, messages, photos, more. Backup is intended to replace the Play Services tool, apparently. Quoting 9to5Google, Android backups currently cover app data, SMS messages, call history, contacts, and device preferences, including Wi-Fi networks and passwords, wallpapers, display settings, brightness and sleep, language and input settings, and date and time. Backup by Google One is billed as being more granular and expansive, as well as unified. Namely, it can also backup photos, videos, and MMS messages with management and control now directly in Android settings in addition to the existing Google One app or website. With this change, MMS is now part of the Android backup experience by default. Last year, the company started allowing anyone to backup MMS, but that required installing and using the Google One app. This unified approach is meant to remove any distinction in backups. Today, people are primarily aware of Google One, which most equate with Google Photos Media Backup, and might not be familiar with what's automatically done in the background. This usually does not come into play until they get a new device and are setting it up. Users will now have less to manage and be actively aware of what is being stored." End quote. Sources are telling Bloomberg that the Chinese government sees Didi's decision to go public despite regulator pushback as a challenge to its authority and is considering unprecedented penalties, which, as always, with stories like this, dun-dun-dun, quote, Regulators are weighing a range of potential punishments, including a fine, suspension of certain operations, or the introduction of a state-owned investor, the people said. Also possible is a forced delisting or withdrawal of Didi's U.S. shares, although it's unclear how such an option would play out. Deliberations are at a preliminary phase, and the outcomes are far from certain. Beijing is likely to impose harsher sanctions on Didi than on Alibaba, which swallowed a record $2.8 billion fine after a months-long antitrust investigation and agreed to initiate measures to protect merchants and customers, the people said. Quote, it's hard to guess what the penalty will be, but I'm sure it will be substantial, said Mixin Pai, a professor of government at Claremont McKenna College in California. Didi's IPO looked at first like a great success, raising $4.4 billion after several troubled years. It turned co-founder Cheng Wei into a billionaire and rewarded longtime backers SoftBank, Tiger Global, 
and Temesic Holdings. But the CAC pounced just days later, announcing a cybersecurity review because of the company's data practices and then banning Didi's app from the country's app stores. Its shares quickly plunged below the offering price. China's regulators largely supported the idea of an IPO, but they expressed concerns about Didi's data security practices since at least April, the people said. In one example of concern, Didi had disclosed statistics on taxi trips taken by government officials, one of the people said, although it's not clear whether that specific issue was raised with the company. Regulators urged Didi to ensure the security of its data before proceeding with the IPO or to shift the location to Hong Kong or mainland China, where disclosure risks would be lower, the people said. Regulators didn't explicitly forbid the company from going public in the U.S., but they felt certain Didi understood the official instructions, they said. One person involved in the meetings, when asked why Didi didn't act on suggestions from regulators, referred to a proverb, that you can't wake a person pretending to sleep, end quote. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Streaming Wars Watch Now is HBO Max quietly moving into pole position behind Netflix and Disney Plus at the head of the pack. During AT&T's earnings yesterday, it was announced that HBO Max and HBO 
have a combined 67.5 million subscribers, which is up 12 million subscribers year over year. HBO Max subscription revenue grew 39% year over year to $2 billion. So basically, they added 2.8 million subs domestically just this last quarter and 5.5 million so far this year. The key to understand here is that at its Game of Thrones hype peak, HBO had 37 million subscribers. Now they have 48 million. So this has not been a failure so far, which is, I know, sounds like faint praise, but it's not a Disney Plus level of success, but surely, comparatively, that's pretty good, right? Quoting Variety. Given HBO Max's momentum, AT&T said it now expects 70 to 73 million global HBO Max slash HBO subscribers by the end of the year. Previously, the company forecast 67 to 70 million subscribers worldwide by the end of 2021. HBO Max had another strong quarter and is ahead of plan to be a leading direct-to-consumer streaming platform with both subscriber and ad-supported choices, AT&T CEO John Stanky said in announcing the Q2 results. The growth of HBO Max has been boosted by Warner Media's controversial strategy of releasing Warner Brothers' entire 2021 movie slate day and date in theaters and on the SVOD service. In 2022, Warner Media has said it will scale that back to release tentpole pictures in traditional theatrical windows, which could flatten HBO Max's upward trajectory. On the Q2 call, Warner Media CEO Jason Kalar, who's expected to exit with the Discovery merger, told analysts that Warner Brothers will premiere 10 movies in 2022 exclusively on HBO Max, while it will shorten theatrical windows for other titles to 45 days, end quote. So yeah, the big question here is what happens when that day-and-date release of new titles is moved back to the traditional windowing strategy? I guess it depends on the quality of the movies to a certain extent, right? Or maybe they test that rent it for 30 days, day of release thing that Disney did with Black Widow. Also, the performance of that HBO Max with ads version was not disclosed, so there's potentially another shoe to drop there. The FTC has formally pledged to fight unlawful right-to-repair restrictions, saying it will use its power to lower repair costs and support independent repair shops. This comes a day after the White House said something roughly similar. Quoting The Verge, Wednesday's new right-to-repair policy statement commits the FTC to encouraging competition in product repair markets with vigor, according to Chair Lena Khan. The statement, which was approved unanimously, makes it official FTC policy for the agency to use its existing authorities to support independent repair shops and lower repair costs for consumers. The statement comes just days after the White House endorsed similar rules in an executive order on economic competition. In the order signed by President Joe Biden on July 9th, the White House explicitly calls out smartphone makers that, quote, impose restrictions on self- and third-party repairs, making repairs more costly and time-consuming, such as by restricting the distribution of parts, diagnostics, and repair tools, end quote. At Wednesday's meeting, the FTC did not name any specific companies or industries that it could target in the future investigations, but the move was lauded by right-to-repair advocates like iFixit. In a statement Wednesday, iFixit's U.S. policy lead Kerry Sheehan said, quote, the FTC's progress addressing repair restrictions shows how much momentum right to repair has achieved and how powerful our community can be when we work together, end quote. Finally today on this second to last Thursday of July, I give you the Airbnb of pools. That's right, quoting the Wall Street Journal, Jim Batan's tree-lined swimming pool 
at his home outside Portland, Oregon, had been sitting untouched since his youngest daughter moved out two years ago. Then in September, he listed it through an online platform for renting private pools. He booked the pool three times within the first two hours and says he has hosted 2,700 guests in less than a year. Mr. Batten expects to have earned $111,000 by the end of the summer, which would just cover the $110,000 he and his wife spent on the custom-built pool eight years ago. I thought, wow, that's weird, Mr. Batten said. It's nice to feel like we didn't have to spend all $110,000 for nothing, end quote. He is one of 13,000 pool owners in 125 markets across the U.S., including cities like Los Angeles and Austin, Texas, who are cashing in on their underused pool by listing with the company Swimply, which some media reports have dubbed the Airbnb for backyard pools. Swimply said its pool owners have made about 122,000 bookings since the start of 2020. Business began picking up before the COVID-19 pandemic, but it boomed during the health crisis as public pools closed and people sought to make extra cash or safely gather after months of lockdown. We've seen a lot of families and friends rekindling with Swimply, said Boonham Laskin, Swimply co-founder and chief executive. Hosts, on average, earn between about $5,000 and $10,000 a month, according to Asher Weinberger, Swimply co-founder and chief operating officer. Most pool owners charge between $35 and $50 an hour, while Swimply collects 15% from the hosts and another 10% from the guests. Some of the hosts' earnings help pay for costs related to pool maintenance, which have jumped during the pandemic because lockdowns and business slowdowns disrupted the pool chemical supply chain. Mr. Weinberger said he now spends $85 a week on chemicals and servicing his pool up from $45 before the pandemic. It's a hunt for chlorine at the best price, said Shannon Zoller, a Swimply host in Oklahoma City, who said he has made $10,000 since he started renting out his pool last June, end quote. You know, I have a backyard pool. Sure, it's a blow-up kiddie pool, but it is probably 8 feet by 10 feet, so it can comfortably fit four adults sitting or two adults lying flat out. And believe me, on a Saturday afternoon, it's super relaxing to lie back in the pool just floating and watching the clouds go by overhead. It's like a combination, what do you call those things, hyperbolic chamber slash... I don't know, meditation retreat? And did I mention that the spigot in our backyard somehow puts out heated water? So it's a heated pool? What do you think I could get as a going rate for this here in Brooklyn? (laughs) Maybe I'm not kidding about that. Maybe I should test it. I don't know. Talk to you tomorrow.